0: You're listening to the Informal Bible Study, a casual and applicational look at the Scriptures. I'm John Stonge, and it's great to have you with us today. In just a few moments, we're going to be taking a look at Romans chapter 10, verses 1-13, through 13, and we're going to be talking about the fact that we can align the desire of our heart with God's heart. But before we take a look at this portion of Scripture, just a couple quick things I wanted to share with you. First of all, we'd invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com, and on our website you'll find a variety of things, including our blog and our podcast links, and also our bookstore. We also have a link there for you to sign up for our weekly newsletter, which we send out each and every Tuesday. And we also have a contact link on our website for you to send us prayer requests if there is something that we can be praying about for you during the coming week. So, again, that's all at desirejesus.com, and we'd encourage you to stop by this week. Now, as I mentioned just a moment ago, today we're looking at Romans chapter 10, verses 1 through 13, and we're talking about aligning the desire of your heart with God's heart. Let's take a look at that together. Now today, we are in the book of Romans, and we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 10, verse 1 through 13. We've been looking at the book of Romans for uh, quite some time now, for the past group of months, and we're going to continue looking at Romans today and for the coming weeks. But today we're in Romans chapter 10, verse starting with verse 1. And you'll notice as we look at this portion of Scripture that we're in a section of the book of Romans where the Apostle Paul is emph- he's emphasizing the concept of salvation. And he's emphasizing what goes into salvation, what the Lord's doing behind the scenes that we don't always visibly observe, but yet this is how the Lord operates. And he also displays the heart of God as we as we talk about these things in relation to salvation. And in this particular portion of Scripture, we're going to be talking about aligning the desire of our heart with the desire of God's heart. And this portion of Scripture displays the nature of that desire. So Romans chapter 10, starting with verse 1, this is what it states. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For, being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to look at your word together this morning. And thank you, Lord, for displaying the nature of your heart through the teaching that the Apostle Paul conveys here. As your Holy Spirit inspired him to write these words down. And so, Father, we pray that as we look at this portion of your word today, that we would understand the nature of what it means to align our hearts with your heart, that your priorities would be the things that we prioritize, that, that your joy would be our joy, that your focus would be our focus. And we thank you, Lord, that you change our desires from what they would naturally would have been, and you develop them to be desires that align with your loving heart. So we pray that that would be one of the things that we take from this portion of your Word today, but we pray that you'd speak to our hearts and our minds now as we look at this portion of Scripture together. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned, this week I had the privilege to be out in Wisconsin. And I've been out there several times during the course of my life. And um, one of the things that I noticed when I was out there years ago is that they have a restaurant that I really like to eat at. Now, I tend to find a favorite restaurant just about everywhere I go, and um, sometimes people make fun of me for that, but I think I just need to own it. that This is something that, you know, some people get excited about a variety of things. I get excited about delicious food, okay? And uh, while we were out there, uh, there was one place I was hoping we would have the opportunity to stop at, and it's a restaurant chain. It's actually a chain called culvers now has anyone heard of culvers okay you've heard of culvers anyone else a few people have heard of culvers but it's primarily a midwest thing that started to move into different areas i know cam they have the uh, culvers down in florida now right not too far from where you are i know one time when we were in tennessee we found culvers but it actually started in wisconsin and i hope eventually it makes its way over here to pennsylvania but at culvers they have delicious things so tell me if this sounds really good to you. They make, they make very fresh burgers. So they take the meat and they press it and, and, uh, and, and cook it right then and there. And then they also, uh, put some Wisconsin butter on it. And so they call it their butter burgers. And I don't know if that sounds good or bad to you, but I'm telling you, it's really good. <laughs> it's really good. And then they have standard things like fries and other things on their menu, but they have delicious onion rings as well. But the, the highlight, if you're going to get a side with your butter burger, is Wisconsin cheese curds. They're deep-fried Wisconsin cheese curds. So there's there are these like like everyone's looking as if like this is another world and I'm telling you it's so so good. So if you like something like a mozzarella stick, right? A cheese curd is like these, you know, like these smaller pieces of cheese and then they bread them and then they deep fry them and they're so good. And they also have all sorts of ice creams on the menu, but it's not just ice cream, it's custard. So you know when you go and you get, you know, water ice around here, and if you feel like splurging, you get the gelati, and you enjoy the custard? Well, there, it's just straight-up custard. Because everyone that walks in, I think they think you look too skinny. So we're going to give you a butter burger, we're going to give you fried cheese curds, and we're going to fill you up with custard. And you know what they call their shakes? They call their shakes the concrete mixer. It's called the concrete mixer. And I was like, this place is so wonderful, right? Right. It's so wonderful, and one of the things I was really craving, but I didn't want to make a big deal about it because I was there with a group of guys, and I knew that they'd probably bust on me for it, but I was craving one of their, like, I wanted to get a custard sundae, and and it's not a complicated sundae that I get when I go there. I'll get just vanilla custard with hot caramel on it, and not just nuts, but they have cashews. You get cashews, whole cashews. It's not even the broken ones, Right. And uh, it's so good. And then the one night after I was teaching on Wednesday night, one of the guys said, hey, there's a Culver's here in Platteville, not too far away. Anyone want to go down there and grab some ice cream? A.K.A. Custard, right? Not just ice cream, custard. And I was like, I I am in. I would like to go down and get custard. I know it's almost 10 p.m., but I would like to get a custard. I will sleep better with custard inside of me. Maybe. And, uh, whether I did or didn't, and while we were there, someone else said, hey, I got some cheese curds so we could dip it in the custard. Are you traumatized by this thought? We did it and it was so good. And I remember that night just thinking like, that was one of the main things I was hoping we were going to do on this trip. I'm sorry that I've turned you. See, you're only doing that. How, how East coast of you guys for real (laughs) go out there and try it. I'm telling you it's good. All right, I'm telling you, remember that I said it, and then repent of your disbelief. <laughs> but it was really good. And I thought, all right, that was one of the things on my secret list of stuff I was desiring to experience when we went out there. But the truth is, so when you look at your life and when I look at my life in general, there are things we crave. Right? I crave certain things, you crave certain things. And some of our most significant cravings, they go much deeper than our desire to enjoy good food. You know, good food could be a craving, but our deepest cravings go much much further beyond that. Our hearts were designed to only truly be satisfied through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And every other desire we experience on this earth is secondary in importance. But sometimes our secondary desires start to creep up there, and we begin to treat them like they're our primary desires. Now, God has desires as well. And we can see what he desires when we look at what his word states and how he's operated throughout the course of human history, the actions that he's taken. He displays his desires to us in written word and through the actions that humanity has observed. And since God has desires, and since we have desires, it's worth asking the question, what would it look like if my desires begin to align with the desires that God has? Do you think that would matter? Of course it matters, right? It matters if our desires align with the desires of God. It makes a difference in life. It makes a difference in the things that we choose to prioritize. And when you look at Romans chapter 10, verses 1 to 13, which we're looking at right now, it gives us a picture of how this all plays out. And one of the things we see in this portion of Scripture, and I want to ask these ideas in the form of a question, but here you're going to have the Apostle Paul starting off this section by talking about zeal, and knowledge. And one of these desires that I want us to wrestle through for just a moment is this. Do we desire to be zealous and knowledgeable? Well, what was Paul getting at when he was talking about zeal and knowledge? Look at what he says in verse 1 down to verse 4. He says, "'Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge.'" For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, earlier this week, I was talking to a friend of mine who has an older brother that he has been fervently praying for. His brother does not know the Lord yet. Uh, his brother expresses no desire to experience new life through faith in Jesus Christ. This man's brother has lived a hard life, mainly due to the regretful decisions that he continues to make, yet he doesn't see why this is an issue. He doesn't see why that's a problem. He's zealous for his destructive lifestyle, yet his zeal has ignorance as the foundation. Now, at one time, we all lived in ignorance. Every single one of us. And there are certain things that we would say, all right, well, ignorance might be actually preferable in regard to. So as children, there were certain realities of life that our parents shielded us from. They purposely kept us ignorant of certain things until they felt we were ready to handle heavier truth. I I will never forget, and this this was very awkward and very difficult, but I will never forget driving in the car with several of my children when one of my children asked me to explain to them what abortion was. And I said, "Ooh, I said, I said, where where are you hearing that?" And they said, "Well, we hear that term used all the time. We hear it on the news. We hear it in all different spots. What does that mean?" And when I had to explain to them that it was actually the violent taking of an infant before they were born, violent taking of an infant's life before they were they were born, you should have seen the faces of my children. They were shocked to think that that was something that would, that anyone would even conceive to do. And there was a a part of their innocence that they had enjoyed, but they weren't allowed to walk in ignorance anymore. And they were old enough to be able to hear these things and discuss these things, but it wasn't a pleasant conversation. And I think while it's possible to remain ignorant in a variety of areas, there is no greater tragedy than to remain spiritually ignorant. That's what Paul's talking about in the opening verses of this chapter. He's talking about the danger that comes with spiritual ignorance. And Paul expresses the fact here that it was the desire of his heart to see his Jewish brothers and Jewish sisters saved through trusting in their Messiah, Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about in these opening verses. He could see that his people were zealous for God, but their zeal was an uninformed zeal, and in some cases, a willfully ignorant Zeal. Their zeal was not coupled with a true knowledge of the Word of God and a true understanding of God's redemptive plan for mankind. And so Paul described his people as being ignorant of the righteousness of God. That's how he speaks of, of his people in these opening verses. What does that mean? You know, as he's talking about them being ignorant of the righteousness of God. Because he certainly was not saying that they, that they were denying that God was righteous. You know, they knew that God was righteous and Paul knew that God was righteous, but rather what he was explaining here was that they didn't understand the nature of God's righteousness and they also didn't understand how they could personally obtain it. They didn't understand the nature of God's righteousness. They didn't understand how they could personally obtain it. Instead, they were trying to establish a righteousness of their own through rules, through regulations, through laws and lists. Rules, regulations, laws, lists, trying to establish a righteousness of their own. But what they were failing to see was that true righteousness was fully available to them through belief, through trust, through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this is a good word of caution for us, even in these opening verses that I hope we'll observe and and I hope we'll appreciate, because it can be good to be zealous, right? It can be good to be knowledgeable. But it's best when our zeal is informed by a knowledge of God's Word. We want to be zealous, but we want to be knowledgeable as well. We want our zeal to be informed by a correct understanding, a knowledge of the Word of God. Since our behaviors are the fruit of our beliefs, we need to examine our beliefs. We need to hold our beliefs up to the light of God's Word so we won't spend our lives drifting further from the Lord while mistakenly convincing ourselves that we're moving in the right direction when we're actually moving further and further away from Him. And when our zeal isn't coupled with a faith in Jesus Christ, what we'll end up doing is the very thing that Paul was speaking about here in this portion of Scripture. We'll end up relying on our own efforts to try to impress God. We'll start keeping checklists of our own efforts trying to impress God. That's what many people living during Paul's day were doing. They're trying to impress God. That's still an issue in our day as well. And so let me ask a follow-up question. Is it your desire to impress God through your physical exertion? you trying to impress God through your physical exertion. You realize that's a recipe to drive yourself crazy, Right? But look at what Paul says in verse 5 down to verse 8. He says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Now, I was entertained recently by something that my kids told me that they remembered about from when they were, were little. Something that took place when they were little. At one point, I think what was happening is we were moving the furniture in our basement. And we were putting it in a different spot, putting it in a different arrangement. And uh, at one point, when I was moving the couch, I was holding up one end of the couch just with one arm. I was holding it in place until I noticed that my little children, and they were little at the time, were looking in amazement at what was taking place. And I'm like, what? And they're like, you're holding up the couch with one arm. I was like, oh, uh, yes I am. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, come here. And I brought them close to me and I said, I don't really want you to tell a whole bunch of people this because I don't think they'll believe it. But I'm super." And I could see that in one moment they were like, and another moment they're like, no, you're not. <laughs> but I was trying to convince them that I was, because they seemed impressed that I was holding the couch in place with one arm. And then I tried to be really clever and like switch it and make it so like with just two fingers, you know, I was holding it. You know, I'm like, see kids, I could even do it this way. Wait, okay. The, uh, you've seen enough. I don't want other people to know the secret, you know. <laughs> And uh, they looked at that, and in that moment, you know, I was trying to impress them while I was also trying to entertain myself. This is pretty much the story of every day of my life since they were born. (laughs) Now, God certainly impresses us, but do we have the ability to impress Him? Can something I do, or something you do, impress God? Is there anything that you or I could do who could truly impress? You know, anything that you or I could do that would truly impress the one who spoke the universe into existence and sustains all creation by his powerful word? Is there anything that we could know that would impress our all knowing creator? Is there any place we could go that would impress our om- omnipresent creator? Is there anything like that that we could do physically that would impress him? No, there's not not impressed by any act of physical exertion that you or I would engage in. Yet, acting as if um, impressing God through acts of self-denial and list-keeping and, and physical exertion would matter. You know, the people that Paul was addressing here in this portion of Scripture, he was basically saying, these are your primary spiritual objectives, aren't they? You're trying to impress God through acts of self-denial and list-keeping and physical exertion and things of that nature. And the reason they were doing that was because they did not understand the nature of God's gift of salvation. They didn't understand it. And Paul quotes from the book of Leviticus to drive his point home here. In Leviticus 18, chapter 5, there's a, a statement that he quotes here in this passage when he's speaking of those keeping the commandments and obtaining life by them keeping the commandments and obtaining life by them. So there were those who believed that if they kept the commandments of the Old Testament law perfectly, they would live forever. Keeping the commandments of the Old Testament law perfectly and living forever. That was the guiding belief of many of the people that Paul was addressing here. And technically, if they had the capacity to do that, that would indeed be true. If you had the capacity to keep all the the requirements of the Old Testament law perfectly, what would that say about you? what well, would say you don't have a sin nature right because you'd have to keep them all perfectly never breaking them even in your youth and there were people during that era that believed that they could obtain righteousness that they could impress god through keeping the law perfectly but they were ignorant of the fact that no human being has that capacity No mere human has the capacity to do something of that nature. And so you have the Apostle Paul, he tries to draw this out. Have you noticed how sometimes he uses broad statements and hyperbole to show how absurd some of the things that we as human beings tend to believe might be? He makes reference here to two impossibly impressive acts of physical exertion when he speaks about those who wanted to impress God through acts of their flesh. He spoke of someone going up to heaven to bring Christ down, and someone descending into the realm of the abyss to bring Christ up from the dead. But again, no man could accomplish those tasks. God the Father is the one who sent Jesus to this earth, and it was God who raised Christ from the dead. So even these acts of exertion would not have impressed God, because this is something miraculous that only God Himself can accomplish. But rather, we're reminded here that righteousness can only be obtained one way. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's always been faith that pleased God. That's what pleases God. You're not going to impress God through your acts of physical exertion or keeping some sort of arbitrary list that you determine has value. It's faith that pleases God. I like what it tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But there it says this, And without faith it is impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. So acts of exertion do not impress God. And keeping the law perfectly is impossible for us. In fact, it was Christ's mission when He came to this earth to keep the law for us so that we could be made righteous, not based on our works, but based on His works and His nature, we could be made righteous through faith in Him. We're not made righteous through the impossible task of impressing God, through keeping a law that we have broken regularly and repeatedly all throughout the course of our life. But Christ came to this earth and He kept the law perfectly for us. And through faith in Jesus Christ, we are made righteous. We are declared righteous in the eyes of God. So if we can't impress God enough to save us through what we're doing, is there some other way? See, Paul kind of building up to this and stressing this over and over. How should we desire to experience salvation? a clear conscience, and a right relationship with our Creator. How is that facilitated? How can we experience salvation, a clear conscience, and a right relationship with our Creator? Well, the Scripture invites us to ask this question. How do you desire to be saved? And look at how this section concludes when you look at verse 9. It says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead will be saved. Isn't that a beautiful portion of Scripture? Anyone here have that portion committed to memory? At least a portion of it? Some of you? It's a good one to remember. This is a passage of Scripture that contains a group of verses that would be wise for all Christians to be familiar with. And it's not only wise for us to be familiar with the content of these verses, but I'd also encourage you to be familiar with the location of these verses in Scripture. Remind yourself that in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, it explains this facet of salvation. It boils it down into a statement or two. Because there's going to be people that you come across that are going to need to hear this information. And wouldn't it be nice if you could show them directly that it's not just your opinion, but it's actually what the Scripture teaches? And you'd open up your Bible right there to Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, and say, this is what it says. This is what we're told the essence of how we can receive the hope of true life and the essence of how we can receive the gift of true rest from trying to earn the love of God is found right here in this passage of scripture. And again, in Romans ten 9, we're told that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, please notice the the words that the Apostle Paul chooses to use in this passage. Because what he's doing is, he's echoing what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. In Matthew 12, verse 34, Jesus said this. He said, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the confession of our lips, what it's going to do is it's going to reveal the faith that's present in our hearts. And when we confess our belief that Jesus is Lord, we're also demonstrating our belief that He lives. We're also demonstrating our belief that He was raised from death. And if we truly have faith in Jesus, what the scripture is telling us is that we will be saved. Again, not through acts of exertion, not through heritage, but through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We truly have faith in Jesus, we will be saved. Now think about the ramifications of that salvation even further. Because we'd be correct just stating that, but consider what that means. In addition to being saved, what does that mean? It's it's telling us that that if we truly have faith in Jesus Christ, we will also be able to walk away from the false belief of faith in our efforts. If I believe that Jesus has done this work for me, then I don't have to rely on myself. I don't have to preach a message to my heart that is dependent on my works, a message that results in me thinking God loves me more if I have a good day and that God hates me if I have a bad day. And it turns a relationship with God into this idea of it being very conditional in nature, very temperamental, that God loves me on my best days and hates me on my worst days and so I hope I die on a good day. Because I want to be saved. And that's really just a faith in our own works. It's a faith in our own exertion. It's a faith in our own efforts. And it's a great way to crush your spirit. It's a great way to crush your heart. Because it's a false belief. Scripture tells us that faith in Jesus results in salvation. Not faith in ourselves. Not faith in our efforts. Again, if we truly have faith in Jesus, we can also find rest. Rest for our souls. Rest for our minds. I think one of the when I go through seasons of anxiety, you know what I've discovered is a pattern in my life? I am not immune from anxiety, and I'm certain that everyone in this room, to one degree or another, has wrestled with anxious moments. And this is the pattern I've noticed every time I've gone through an anxious spell. It really always seems to come down to me relying on my own efforts in one way or another where I'm thinking I have to either control something or succeed at something, or whatever it may be. And then I get to a point where I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do that as well as I think I need to do that. And then imagine if that's the attitude and mindset that we transpose into the idea of salvation. And yet what does Scripture teach us? It teaches us that through faith in Jesus Christ, our hearts find rest. Not worry, not anxiety. The antidote to our worry, the antidote to our anxiety, is trust in Jesus Christ. Where we can find rest for our souls through Him, and that's a message we remind our hearts of in those anxious moments. Like, wait a second, I don't need to control this. I don't need to achieve at this. I don't need to succeed at this. Christ has this in His hand. And I can trust Him in every circumstance. He wants me to walk by faith in every moment. In every circumstance. How about this? In addition to that, I don't know if you consider yourself an optimist or a pessimist by nature, but supernaturally speaking, through faith in Christ, we can become optimists in the sense that we can approach the coming days with hope. And it's not a maybe type of hope, like, I hope we don't get a foot of snow later today. Or, I hope it melts quickly so I don't have to shovel that much of it. Right? Well, when Scripture talks about hope, it's talking about a certainty. We could face the future with hope, knowing that Christ has secured for us everything that needed to be secured. And no matter what circumstance we may go through right now, we can always approach it with the mindset that this is only for a moment. It's only for a season. It will not last. I have hope that there's something better beyond this. This is all the fruit of genuinely trusting in Jesus Christ and confessing Him as Lord. Believing in Him in our hearts. And Paul here tells us that everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Whether your background is Jewish or Gentile, slave or free, educated or uneducated. What he's saying is true life will be yours through Jesus Christ if you call on Him with genuine faith. And we've been talking about this idea of, okay, what does it look like for the desires of my heart to align with the desire of God's heart? Well, the desire of God's heart is what? That people experience this gift of salvation and that they walk through this life as those who have been redeemed. I don't know if you're familiar with Joe Stoll. He did a lot of writing. He did a lot of speaking and preaching. He said something interesting years ago about the heart that I want to read for us as we finish up this morning. He says this, heart is used in Scripture as the most comprehensive term for the authentic person. It's a part of our being where we desire, deliberate, and decide. It's been described as the place of conscience and decisive spiritual activity. The comprehensive term for a person as a whole His feelings, desires, passions, thought, understanding, and will. And the center of a person, the place to which God turns. Now throughout the book of Romans, God's been showing us that the desire of His heart is the salvation of those who are lost. Particularly in chapter 9 and chapter 10, and even as we get into chapter 11, we'll see this stated different ways, but it's the same message just shown to us from different angles. That God desires to see the lost saved. And as those who have received His gift of salvation, what He's doing is He's inviting us to align the desires of our hearts with His desire. Can you sense as you walk with the Lord that He's fanning the flame of His desires within your heart? You know, Scripture tells us that the Lord desires, that He delights to give us the desire of His heart, or the desire of our heart. You ever hear that Scripture? You know, the Lord delights to give us the desire of our hearts. And sometimes people misinterpret that to say, I think God wants to give me whatever I want. And what we end up discovering is, no, what God wants to do is align your desires with His desires so that you want the same thing as He does. And that's what this Scripture is talking about. Fanning the flame of that. That we start to desire the same thing that God desires. Final question as we finish up this morning, and I want to show you one more slide. Somewhere along the way, the Lord's going to put you in the context where someone's going to need this hope explained to them. Just some food for thought. As the Lord's been fanning the flame of your desires becoming aligned with His desires in your heart, Are you prepared to share that kind of hope? Your understanding of the heart of God with someone when the Lord grants you the opportunity to do that. Can I show you a highlight of some of the Scriptures that we've already seen as we've been working our way through Romans that can help you to do that? Probably wouldn't be a bad idea to take a shot of this with your phone. But it says this, in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, "...for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God." Reminding us that by nature we're all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And then when we got into chapter 6, verse 23, it reminded us, that the, it says, "...for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord." What we earned was death, but Christ gives us eternal life as, as a gift." We jump back a chapter to Romans 5.8. It says, but God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then what we looked at today in Romans 10.9 and 10, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Don't be surprised when the Lord brings someone along your path or many someones along your path that need to hear that explained to them. And as we've been working our way through Romans, the Apostle Paul has given us a succinct and methodical understanding of the work that God's doing and the need for Him to do that work. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word and for the privilege that it is to be able to look at Your Word today and meditate on these concepts, and meditate on these ideas. And Father, we're grateful for the fact that when we look at a portion of Scripture like this, we learn more about the nature of Your desire. It's Your desire to see the lost rescued and redeemed. It's Your desire that Jews and Gentiles experience the gift of salvation. But you've made it abundantly clear to us that we're not going to earn it. We're not going to deserve it. It's not going to be some through some act of physical exertion. It's not going to be through some uh, checklist that we keep to impress you that's going to result in us experiencing salvation. Because salvation is a gift. It's a gift that was secured through the work of your Son, Jesus Christ, and then blessed, then given to us as a blessing as we trust in Him. So Father, we pray that we would trust in Your Son, who is our sufficiency, who satisfies Your wrath, who came to this earth and lived the perfect life that we could never live, who died on the cross to pay for our sin, who rose from the grave defeating sin, Satan, and death, and who reigns forever and invites us to live and reign with Him as we trust in Him. So Father, we pray that You would foster that kind of trust within us, And that as our trust in You matures and grows, that we would be mindful of the fact that You desire to place people in our path who need to hear this very thing. Who need someone to take the time to explain these details, the need for salvation, and the way in which You offer it through Your Son, Jesus Christ. We're grateful, Father, for the fact that Your Word reveals this truth to us. We're grateful, Father, for those in our hearing today who have already received this gift. And we're grateful, Father, that those who have not yet received this gift have now heard this truth. So, Father, we pray that if there be anyone among us today who has never received the gift of salvation and learned what it means to walk by faith in Your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray that today would be the day of their salvation. And we thank You again, Father, for reminding us of this truth from Your Word. We commit ourselves to You now and we thank You for all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. thanks again for listening to this episode of the Informal Bible Study. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, we'd invite you to stop by our website, which is desirejesus.com, and be sure to check out all the resources we have available for you there, but also sign up for our weekly newsletter, and we send that out each and every Tuesday, and we hope it'll be an encouragement to you. But that's it for us today. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a wonderful day and a wonderful week. And we look forward to catching up with you again right here next Monday. Take care. now in his shows, he would say, that Pat Boone, he's so religious. I shook hands with that boy the other day, my whole right side sobered up. <laughs> and and I would repeat that in my act, and I said, you know, it did. And then I'd go ahead and sing my song. Pat Boone shares some of his incredible life story on The Walk, a podcast for worshipers. Join us weekly to hear conversations and devotionals from the artists of the church. The Walk can be found on lifeaudio.com, worshipleader.com, or your favorite podcast platform.